Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Meet Julia. She's dealing with a lot of different symptoms. She feels achy, has low energy, deals with anxiety, and she has trouble sleeping. She saw her primary and her gynecologist, but all her tests checked out, and so no solutions were offered. She was so fed up, and so at that point, she started to take matters into her own hands. She started reading books, she watched videos, and she started to follow many health experts on social media. She was so excited about what she was learning, and then she started to change her diet and take supplements. She loved reading about all the supplements and their benefits, and she was adding many new supplements each week to try to gain control of her issues. She worked very hard on taking out inflammatory foods from her diet. She took out gluten, dairy, and corn, and then she started to remove other grains, and after that, she removed lectins. This was working, and she was feeling better at first. But then her aches and pains came back, even though she was still taking all of the supplements, she was actually taking even more of them, and she was even more strict with her diet. She was constantly thinking and planning out what she'll be eating and what she's going to be cooking and how she could be even more diligent. So it really didn't make sense to her as to why she was not moving forward. When I met Julia, I saw that like many other people I see in the practice, she had a lot going on. Her symptoms were quite varied, but she's also tried a lot of different things. So we certainly weren't starting at square one. I was really happy to see that she'd already made such big shifts to her diet. But I also realized that all of these shifts were really creating a lot of stress for her on top of the many other stressors she was already dealing with at home and at work. I knew that all of this was related and I knew exactly where I needed to go to solve her health mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about all of the ailments that Julia was experiencing, and joining me on the show today to talk much more about this is Patrick LaRouge. Patrick is a jack of many trades, and he's been in the holistic health fields for over 20 years. He is an energy master and healer, a coach, and an amazing body worker, just to name a few, though it's hard to even give him a title as he does so many things. 
I've had the pleasure of knowing Patrick and working with Patrick for over 10 years, and he's taught me so much about my body and how I can be in charge of my own healing. Patrick, I am so, so excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Well, thank you so much, Ina, for bringing me on because Health Mystery Solved is a fun one, and I love playing in this box. <laughs> well, thank you. So it is not uncommon to experience many different ailments at one time, like Julia did. And while they may be coming from different places, oftentimes the common denominator that can both create and exacerbate them is an upregulated nervous system. Now, Patrick, can you tell us what does it mean to have an upregulated nervous system? Well, that's a great question. It's a, a, a common word, a common phrase that I hear a lot. And the easiest way just to start really, really big is you're in fight or flight. Everybody understands what, what that means in the concept of the way the body responds when it's under an extreme amount of stress. But what is that a little bit more to get a little deeper on it is think about it as your your mind moves much, much faster. There's a tons of things going on. It's it's like you being in a stadium, but instead of being really, really quiet, there's so much noise going on in there and you can't focus. You can't think. Mm-hmm. Then the, the response inside the body where your body just starts reacting to things. It's those knee jerk reactions and your body just starts to protect itself against everything and anything. And then there's the emotional side where all of your emotions are heightened in such a way where it, it's uncomfortable to be, but The easiest way to think about it is when you're in an extreme case of fight or flight or even a low-lying and chronic case of fight or flight, you're on extreme ends of the poles rather than being comfortable in the middle. So you're either going to be checking out where you don't feel a lot and you're not here and you're not present, or you're reacting to the world, trying to fight off the world, and you're exploding all the time in in, in that sense rather than having an easy mesh in the middle. Right. That's really interesting. And I think that is true probably for many people where I think they may have both of those, where they may be reacting or they're tuning out. Or do you find that people tend to go towards one way or another? It depends on the the mind and the body type and the biggest thing based off their experiences in life, their prior experiences, their episodes that they had that taught them to be the way that they are. That's how they deal with the world. So seeing a person from where they are based based off of where they came from is the big thing. So I'd never see one or the other. It's more like what's going on with you. You're going to either be doing this or this, or you might be a fun person that just double dutches on both depending on the moment. So it never it's never really a clear sign of me looking at a person. You're going to be reactive because of X. It depends on where they came from. So what causes an upregulated nervous system. I know you mentioned fight or flight, but can we go through some of the things that can put people in that state? Now, that is a fun question because it could be anything and everything from the lights that we have to be in, the fact that we're in front of the computer. It could be dogs. It could be animals. It could be now going outside. Now, that's all like fine, like things that's happening now, but why does it upregulate us? is because how we dealt with ourselves in the past, how we learned how to deal with stress inside of our bodies, right? It's either most people overthink things. Let's take an overthinker. Overthinker is going to hyperthink things through. And if they don't see a clear plan, they'll get frustrated. That means they're going to overthink. And that's just like running the car really, really, really high, revving it all the time and never letting it to cool down. Eventually, something's going to break. Or you have these experiences where a person never really thinks things through and they react. 
and then react, 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 put both of those cases in now, they're going to respond in different ways, but their nervous system will be heightened to keep that momentum going, if that makes sense. It does. So basically what you're saying is, you know, all different types of stressors, it could be physical stressors, it could be emotional stressors, and then how you're used to dealing with it in the past, how either you were taught or possibly not taught, right, is then the experience the body's going to have. Gotcha. So if someone has an upregulated nervous system and, you know, perhaps they get used to it and they don't notice it, or perhaps they do notice it, but they don't know what to do about it. What are some of the things that that can lead to longer term? Now that like in all spectrums, like I like to break this down into when I first see a client, I see somebody, I'm always evaluating a bunch of different things. One, where's their mind at? Where are they at currently? So I can now place them from where their past was, as well as where they want to go. But where are they currently? Is their mind moving really, really fast? Are they thinking about a bunch of different things all the time, as well as What's their body doing? Is their body showing them signs, showing you cues on what's happening? And then what's their emotional temperament, right? So me meshing those things up, I can now understand where they're at. So I see things from, you know, depression, anxiety. I see things from in the mindset, depression, anxiety, or uh, analysis paralysis, or the fear that they can't do something. So they never do do anything or they overthink and they do too many things. They put too many things on their plate and then they get upset and have a really hard time dealing with what they're about to do because there's so much things on there. Then I see things in the body because the body is overtaxed and overworking uh, just to protect itself. It uses up so much resources, so much fuel that they're always tired or they go through these different fluctuations. So the body has to bump itself up by using its adrenaline. I call it its its NADs, its nitrogen oxide in the in the body is just, it fires it up like you would in a car. So we're burning through things at an extreme rate. Then in the emotional side, the easiest way I can describe that is the concept of compassion fatigue. We get tired because we feel everything all the time. So it's a person's going to either detach because their emotional state is so high where they don't feel anything and they don't understand what's going on. So they just keep on going and not being present or they feel for everyone and everything. But then they get really, really exhausted, which then triggers the mind, which triggers the uh, body. So it's always a sick cycle of all three. And for those that are feeling others, are you talking about uh, people that are empathic or not necessarily, but just people pick up other energy? I'm a firm believer everyone is somewhat empathic. Everyone feels things, but based off their upbringing, based on where they're at, and based on how well they can govern that, they're better at it now than uh, in any other time because they've been playing with it rather than going, their nervous system going so high and their mechanism is to detach. So the people that think they can't, they can, it's just they're used to detaching from an emotional situation, an energetically charged situation rather than leaning in and processing it and feeling it in that way. It's a, it's a learned trait, but we all have it. Gotcha. So with all of the different coping systems, if you will, that we have, that we've developed over time to deal with it, you know, obviously our body, quote unquote, deals with it, but is it really dealing with it, right? What are some of the things that can then go awry in our body when we're not actually dealing with it? I bring up people to the, the thought process of a swan. Everyone loves watching a swan because it's so graceful. 
on the path and it's just gliding, gliding on the water. It seems like it's effortless. But when you look deeper and you look underneath the water, their legs are kicking like crazy. When people don't deal or don't even recognize that they're swatting, where they rationalize, that's what the brain is here to do. It's designed to not let you know something's going on until something's really going on. It's always compensating. It's always adapting, always changing until it runs out of compensations. It runs out of adaptions. And then it's left with the weakest of the weak running the whole ship because it's used all its, its good players. So I bring everybody to look at yourself as a swan. Are you aware that your legs are kicking and how they're kicking so well or crazy? And once I get a person to see that, then they can actually uh, think about where they're at. But when they don't, that's when things happen to happen, but they really don't. The Another analogy that I use is the frog in boiling water. The reason why a frog can boil in water is because you set the frog in when they're good and then slowly bring up the temperature where it just feels great. It's like a warm bath. And it's like, oh, really? It's like a hot tub. But we all love the hot tub. But then it just gets hotter and hotter. And because our body adapts to it, we're boiling and we don't even know it. Mm. Okay. And that does make sense for sure. So if someone is wondering if their nervous system is elevated, but may not be aware of some of the stressors that they're experiencing. And I know personally, I've been there before because I would say to you sometimes, well, I don't feel stressed. I'm fine. But yet we've found that there are things that are upregulated. How can someone start to tune in and realize and see basically if they are upregulated or not? It all depends on the, the person that I'm working with. But the, the two that I lead with is one, the heart test. If you put your hand right now on your heart, like you're doing the Pledge of Allegiance, and you have to think longer than two seconds, is my heart there? Your your nervous system is heightened. Because what that does is your nervous system heightens and it thinks it's being chased by an animal, thinks something like that. So it dullens your sensation, right? It dullens all of the sensations that you have in your in your skin, in your body, so you can get cuts and you can get bruises, you can get, and you'll never stop. You'll just keep on running from the animal until you feel safe. So the easiest one is feeling your heart. If you take longer than two seconds, you're elevated. Okay. And when you say feeling your heart, you mean feeling your actual heart beating, right? So that you feel correct that in your hand. Got it. I'm doing correct. it right now just to see. I think it's there. <laughs> I think I feel it. And then the other one that I like doing is the stadium test. Can you sit quietly for a moment and have the stadium clear out? Or do you hear so much noise? That is uh, another clear uh, example. Depends on if a person is a mental body where they're always in their head and always doing stuff, which is somewhat harder because they rationalize the fact that they're rationalizing. So they never look at what's actually happening now, but it just takes more patience with that person to sit with them for a second and say, by the way, it's still not here. It's still not here. Rather than the person that's inside their body all the time and reacting to things, it's easier to show them, by the way, you can't feel your heart. You're still alive but you can't feel it. Right. And I guess that's really that disconnection between the mind and the body when you can't feel it, right? Correct. And I think that that is pretty common for many of us on a normal day, forget probably even a, a more stressful day that has other things going on. So that's definitely a good test for people to try. And I think that probably a majority of us are more upregulated than we realize. So when we know that we're upregulated or we may think that we're upregulated, we obviously want to do stuff to bring a nervous system down, 
Because as you said, it can lead to a lot of different things. So why don't we go through some things that people can do at home to lower their nervous system? The the first thing that is in every aspect of what I do, whether I'm working with a person that has physical ailments, mental ailments, emotional ailments, is when the nervous system comes up, it's going to sever. We live in a world now that's hardwired to separate our body as an organism. So as an organism, it comes into this world infinite and able to feel fulfilled at all times. But because of the world that we live in, it actually fractures. We teach it that it needs to be its mind or its body. So when we get uh, elevated, you just have to recognize, am I a mind person or a body person at first? And then start to blend them. And how you do that is by feeling your body sensations. The easiest one that I like to run with is breathing. So if you want to lower your nervous system, start to breathe. Everyone knows breathing exercise. You do your breathing exercise, but that's not what I'm speaking about here. All you have to do is feel your air go through your body. Not, oh, my belly is bringing up. My chest is bringing up. It's not just that. It's feel the air going into your body. And that sensation will start to taper down your mind because the the brain is a rationalization device. It's a calculator. It does not feel. It thinks what it should be feeling, but it doesn't feel. So if you get yourself into a place where you're feeling the air go through your nose, into your chest, into your belly, that's when you start to calm the mind down relatively quick. And when people have a hard time with that, my default to go to is hum. If you started humming and smiling while you hum a song, that vibration is what you feel inside your body. That's the sensation that you focus on, which also will blend the mind and body together, calming the mind because you're feeling in sensation. That makes sense. That's a good one. And that's also something that can help with the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve, if not properly toned, can lead to a lot of issues. And so calming the vagus nerve is going to help with the whole rest and digest. And so it's the same, a similar idea here. Mm -hmm. As I started to go deeper and deeper into different philosophies, different theories, uh, different monads, methodologies, they always come back down to the same thing. The body knows what it's doing. The more we get out of the way, the more it does what it needs to do to get right. And you're going to realize as you start to take science and you start to take uh, woo-woo theories and different things all together, they all come back down to the same things. Science proves it and Ayurvedic proves it and Ayurvedic came first before science and it's all the same thing. So once you find out to that, you'll start seeing the, the meshes, the connections of it. I love that because we do hear the term, the body can heal itself, but oftentimes we don't actually understand what that means. And what you're saying is that when your nervous system is calm enough, that's when the body can actually do it. And I think the reason why people aren't experiencing as much of this body healing itself phenomenon is because we're also upregulated. Do you agree? I certainly agree. Yes, I do. So- Someone can try then breath work and sensing the breath or humming. What are some other things that they can do? One of the bigger ones that I use, this is my go-to, is something called TRE. It, it stands for Trauma and Tension Release Exercise. It focuses on building up muscle tension and using your muscle tension to get to a neurological response of letting go. So it's 
This is where the allowance comes in. We have an encoded mechanism inside of our bodies that tenses up and contracts when we are in stress, when we have that. Think about if anyone gets scared, they never open up their body. They always contract on themselves. That is the encoded mechanism. But in this world of allowance that I'm speaking about, in this world where you're quieting your mind and you're watching and you're being present, there's also another neurological encoded uh, mechanism that also lets all that tension out. So with TRE, they use muscle fatigue, uh, muscle uh, tightness, but not in a workout fashion to get to a neurological deep sensation that lets, and this is not you letting go, but lets things deep, deep trauma, tension, uh, stress just comes pouring out of you in the form of different tremors and shaking that the body does. The easiest way that I tell everyone to look at is think about a baby that has cried. And now this is micro traumas, but what does the body do? They have this tremor, the shaking, the shape, the scaredness that we make into a weak thing, but it's not. That is the organism doing what it naturally does to let go of trauma, tension, all the stress that it's now compiled. That's its way of letting go. It is not weak. It's just the organism's massive power to not go through things. So if you look at that baby 20 minutes later after it's done, it's almost like nothing has ever happened. That's because it let go of the stress. It like truly let go of the stress and the trauma and the episode, the experience that it just went through, it's no longer there. Yeah. And if you look at animals and watch them, if they go, th go through some type of trauma, they naturally do this as well. Correct. Uh, the example for animals is if you see a deer and the deer is eating along, eating along, and then it hears something, it'll go stark still. And it, nothing can happen. It's nothing going on. And then if you watch that deer go back to eating, you'll also see a micro tremor that happens. And it comes in the form of a tail. It'll shake its tail slightly. That's it letting go of that micro aspect of what is going on? What is happening? Like, that's what it does. It lets go of that. And that's what we need to get used to. Getting back to our body knows how to let go of tension. Our body knows how to deregulate. It's just we have to stop thinking how to do it and just allow it to. Mm -hmm. And TRE is a really, really neat exercise. And it's something that you and I both learned from our mentor, Dr. Barry Green. And then I know you went on and you got certified in it as well. And it's amazing how the shakes happen. They're involuntary. So you're not doing anything. It's just happening. Now, for those people that are not familiar, can you tell us a little bit more about how you would get into it and how long it typically takes to do? Well, TRE is a... At first, you need to be walked into it because this is deep work. A lot of things can come out. So we don't suggest people just run off and go do it. There's all people on the internet. There's exercises that you do that brings up the muscle fatigue. But just like anything else in the world, the more guidance you have, the more safe you feel going through an emotional place, the better your body will let go. So it's, there's five exercises that you do that uh, accumulates to allowing your nervous system to let go because it feels in this safe place is the best answer I can give for that. And then once people are in that state of letting go and they do feel those shakes, as we call it, how long would someone need to be in there to release? Is there a specific amount of time or is it just what feels good? I'm a very person, a big person into feeling. What is your sensations? What is your feelings? What's going on? Because you govern yourself. 
like reps. You don't do a certain amount of reps. You go to what your body feels like. Learning how to run with your body in that way gives you so much more openness and availability. But in general, you want to go for a certain amount of time that you feel comfortable with and then build off of that. It's almost like a meditation practice. I could tell people they should meditate for an hour a day. Or I can be like, you could be like a monk and meditate all dang day. But you don't have the ability to do so because you're not conditioned for it. So we always start off small. Like any, if anyone tells you big, long things that's not right for you, your body is just going to protect. So then you defeat the purpose. So it's always small bouts, something that you can tolerate, something that you can uh, go with. And then build off of that. You build your own foundation based off of where you are. So I normally start off in 15-minute bursts until I see the body wanting to open up more without you um, feeling stressed about it. And you walk clients through this. Yes. At first, I I highly suggest that everyone get a, a therapist to walk them through it at first so they know and expect not something to happen, that they are safe to allow something to happen. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Yeah. Well, I think the first time you do anything new, you want to make sure that someone is guiding you and letting you know this is what's going to happen. This is what you may feel. And then, of course, always, if you have questions, you have someone there that can answer them. So that does make a lot of sense. So we have feeling our breath in our body. We have TRE. What are some other things that people can do to lower their nervous system? What I like to do when I work with people is get them to realize that there's three main zones. There's many different zones that that happen, but whatever happens into your emotions, which is energy in motion, floods into your mind. Whatever happens in your mind floods into your body. So in these last two cases, we talked about going from the body, calming the body. Now we have to deal with the mind. The way that I get people to start to calm their mind besides feeling it's actually getting their mind out where you start doing, you vent the mind. You do mind dumps in the form of journaling or to-do lists or letters, but whatever is actually in your head needs to come out. And then this is the key component, uh, letting go of that. Like we're talking closure is you have to have a mind-body connection to what you're clearing out mentally. If you don't do that, it's just like writing a a to-do list. It's just never-ending. Does that make sense? So that does make sense, Patrick. But can you just give a little bit more detail in terms of what you mean by having a connection to what you're dumping from your mind? All right. So let's with anxiety, because there's so much anxiety in the world because there's so much uncertainty in the world now as well as there's so much fear based off of that. And it's just a a thing that trickles downhill into something massive. So if a person has anxiety and they're fearful of things, I would get them to tell me what is safe, right? And then if they're having a hard time, I bring them back into a moment of time where they actually feel safe. So I have them imagine, do you remember the first time that you actually remembered like, oh my God, I love this man or woman, this partner of mine. I, I, this is the one. I love that person. And I get them to describe that feeling to me. Or if you're a parent, I go with, do you remember the first time that you held your kid? Holy moly, I melted. They go back into this moment where they make a mind-body connection based off of what they're writing. And then you would just write that down. But that is the positive side. When we're dealing with anxiety, when we're dealing with fears, there's a bunch of negative 
thoughts and emotions that happen that also need to come out. I am scared to go outside, for instance. Why are you scared to go outside? I could die, I could get hit by a car, I could do all these different things, and I'd have them write that down. And then I would write down other positive things that's also to boot. That is one way I can connect the mind and body through journaling and mind, uh, venting. The other way that I do it is tell me your to-do list. This is the other, this is how, like, that is the mechanism is connecting an emotion in your body and a thought to an image and putting it on paper. But in real practication and practicing it, I have them do the to-do list, but have them imagine what they're doing while they're writing the to-do list. So I have to get up and brush my teeth. I would have, all right, so while you're writing that to-do list, what does the toothbrush feel like in your mouth? Have them write that down so they're connecting that to it, and then they no longer do it. They no longer feel composed to think about all these things because, as you know, there's like roughly 27 to 47 decisions that we make before our brain starts to fizzle out, depending on how energized your brain is. So you only have a certain amount of decisions a day that your brain can actually do. If you're wasting it on when am I going to wake up, for instance, you're just wasting a decision that doesn't need to be, which then you fall apart faster. So if I get a person to mind dump at the end of the night, write out their whole entire day in a way where they're actually in it, I call this the mind movie. They now have way more energy for the, the next day because they're just following a habit loop. And if that doesn't make sense, think about the last time you drove a far distance one place. It takes forever. The habit loop kicks in that the brain does to conserve energy. And on your way back, it seems like time flies when it's absolutely the same amount of time. That's because your brain put that drive home on a habit loop. I do the same thing for mind dumping and venting. Hmm. I really, really love that. That is definitely, it has a different spin on it than when you normally hear people talk about mind ups and just writing down whatever is in your head, which is also good, of course, because, you know, some people say when you're in your head, you're dead. Correct. You need to get it out. But you're taking it a step further. And I really love what you're describing. And it's you're putting a feeling to that. And, you know, the to-do list is something that definitely resonates with me because I am one that makes to-do lists and they're always bigger than what I can accomplish. And then at the end, I'm like, oh, I only did three things where there was 20 on there. And then you just add more and more as the day goes on or as the weeks go on. So when you're explaining about seeing the to-do list as if you're doing it right now for the next day, do you ever find that that then affects your sleep if you're doing it at night? Or do you feel like by doing that, it almost like takes it out of your head and then you don't think about it? You, it, you sleep like a baby if you do this right. So the reason why I, I notice that people have sleepless nights when it's mental stuff is because they have something called an open loop inside their mind. They watch a TV show, for instance, any any TV show, and this is common, and every if you especially if you watch this mindless drill that I I hear people do, like let's take uh, like a Desperate Housewives or a Kardashians or anything, they always end the episode with a question on on hand, so you can now actively watch the next one. Your mind in the background will start thinking, "What's about to happen? What's about to happen?" You think you are calm, but you're swanning, and then you're now tempted and always somewhat in the back part of your head wanting to see what happens because that's what the brain does. It needs to close up loops. So by leaving it open, you're now always running something in the back burner. What I noticed is people that try to do this and they don't do it effectively or they don't do it at all is 
they never close the open loops that's inside their minds. So their brain is always running at night, never truly spooling off. So this is a way that you can do a mind dump where you're saying, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And you're going to literally put your all into it. You're going to feel the sensation. You're going to see what happens and you'll sleep like a baby. And then you'll wake up knowing exactly what to need to do. So your feet hit the ground running and you're using less energy to do even more. And that's why I, I coined my term is I get a person to do more with less is because I get them to do small things like this. Seeing that it, all the time, it works in many different uh, facets. I'm going to try that tonight because I am definitely someone that I think unknowingly probably has that open loop because there's always something in my head. And I'm a pretty creative person and I'm always thinking about the ways that I could spin different things or do different things and try things differently and even just for work, analyze things in a different way, look at it from a different box. Um, so there is always an open loop. And you know, I think this is something also that can probably help with, you know, when you have things to do and there are certain things that you may be dreading more so than others. And those things are not probably things that are that hard, but for some reason in your mind, you make it that it's going to take a long time or it's going to be very hard for whatever reason. So I bet that if you go through what you have to do in your mind, it'll be much easier to do that task that you've potentially been procrastinating on for the last you know, week, month, or possibly year. I, I agree with that. I have two things to say about that. Like I have three kids and I taught my kids relatively early. My daughter was three when she started riding a bike. And I, I did a whole little series and I was teaching people how I got my three-year-old to ride a two, two-wheeler. And it was from the very, very beginning, I saw a pattern that I bet needed to happen. And what happened was I would get her to come to a hard degree, something hard for her, like riding a scooter, two-wheel scooter, and I would work on balance. And then right after that, I would put her straight to sleep. So I'd bring her to a challenge doing something. I'll put her like this would be right before her nap time, for instance, which is one of the hardest times to teach anybody, a child, anything because they can lose it. But if you do it properly, when they sleep, they actually going through it over and over and over and again. And that's the practice. So the micro hack is before you go to sleep, you go through whatever you want to learn faster because that's what your brain does. It runs through everything in full loops to get you to practice. So these, this, this mechanism that I just taught you is another way of practicing. So these hard things, let's say uh, public speaking is the biggest fear. If you started practicing in front of a mirror, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And then you end on a closed loop saying, that was awesome. That was the best I've ever done. I want to like make this even better. And then you go to sleep. That's what your brain is going to process, but it's not going to wake you up because it's processing higher. It's just going to go through the, the the speech that you went through. You're going to memorize it so much better because you went through that, that practice. And that's why the hard task that you want to do, that you're dreading, would be easier because it puts it in two habit loops. One, you already went through it because you thought about it in such detail. And then two, it practiced it over and over again throughout the night. Mm -hmm, yeah. And I think maybe the, uh, the other thing of that is because you visualized that you did it. And the last thing that you just said that I think is really important is you visualize that it went well and you're visualizing as it's happening, then seeing that is another kind of positive reinforcement that you did it and it you did great. Correct. Now, what about energy flow? How does that fit into lowering the nervous system? The further and further down this rabbit hole we go, we always find energy being 
a deep, deep, deep root for everything. But everyone thinks of energy as this woo-woo thing, and it's not. Everyone has a style of, let's use communication, right? The five love languages. And certain people have this specific way of speaking and how they receive. That's the easiest way that they can go. If you find spouses, spouses normally have two different styles of receiving love based off of how they receive love or didn't receive love as a child. And that's the way that they speak. So when it comes down to energy flow, it's all about the easiest way that you communicate with your body, your mind and energy. So you want to always go with what's the easiest. So the more you can find that, the easier your body will respond and your mind will respond. The easiest one that I can get is eating with the seasons based off of where you are. So you can speak to many people why that's so important, but in the energy flow, because you're, the organism knows it's this time of year, it's going to do certain things differently. And when people have a hard time um, wrapping their mind around it, I, I tell them about a deer. A deer changes its color during the winter. It, it changes its color during the spring because when it does that, it protects itself from hunters. It blends in more. So the, the fur turns more like bark. That is a, a natural thing with the seasons to stay safe. It's all about safety. But what also happens is it's gut health. It's, I call this the digestive fire, burns hotter so it can eat bark because there's no grass, there's no flowers, there's no like supple things that a deer would eat. So it eats the bark off of trees, but it needs its digestive system to be even hotter so it can actually survive. So based on the seasons, it eats different things. And the same thing for the human organism as well. And if you find that flow, your organism will do magical things. And I teach people the same way when it comes to working out. Depending on what your body type is, there's a specific workout that works best for you. That's the easiest flow for change. And is there a way that people can find what type of workout is better for them? There's many different variations of it. If you take the Western side, they talk about mesoforth. There's all these different things. But in the Ayurvedic world, there's different. You're a fire type, you're an air type, you're a water type. And each one has its own little flow with it. It's just a matter of looking at it through that perspective rather than saying everyone's right for cardio. But if you have a water type that's more heavy, all about love and staying still, getting that water type to run takes more energy for that to be efficient rather than taking a thin person. And I'm just talking about Ayurvedic medicine now, uh, taking a thin person that has long muscles, easy muscles, they will gravitate to running all the time because that's their easiest flow. Now I'm going to throw a nice little curveball to it, but is that right for that person in that moment? We do not know because I don't know what state they're in, but just because you're one type, the easiest flow is where you want to go with. And you can do it in many different ways. Eating is, there's eating with the seasons, there's workouts, there's even energetic practices that will, that work best for certain people. Okay. And in terms of energetic practices, you're talking about things like different types of meditation? Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, there's different types of meditation. I'm going to go back into the Ayurvedic world, a fire type that's very, very uh, fast moving, very, very abrupt. If you ask that person to sit down and stay there for an hour to meditate, that won't work very well, as well as a, as well as a, um, 
an air type that has so many different thoughts. They're going to take a lot more energy to do uh, the quieting of the mind. But if you take that same personality, put them in their flow state, they will gravitate towards calming down much faster. So if you get them to walk, for instance, walking meditation is is easy. All you have to do is, if you're in in that tile where you have to move and you have to do things and you can't quiet your mind, go outside and play the game what do you hear? Eliminate that hear, Eliminate that sound. And as soon as you start doing that, you're now focused on something that's outside of you and then inside of you because you're not trying to listen to it. And then you're eliminating it. And then you just go with octaves lower. Well, then we'll, like bring down your nervous system dramatically fast and you don't have to sit and meditate. Does that make sense? It does. And this is a really good point because as much as we hear how beneficial meditation is for us, there are so many people that say, and I'm sure they say to you and they say to me too, I just can't meditate. And so it's so important for people to know that there are so many different styles of meditation and they don't have to sit with their legs crossed and their eyes closed necessarily for an hour. And what about human connection? I know that that's another thing that you talk about and something that can be helpful in lowering the nervous system. Tell us a little bit more about how that works. This is always been in my world because I started off as a body worker and this is where I started everything. Touch therapy is awesome, but it became very, very true to me in 2020 because we were told not to touch anyone. And the worst way that you can do anything to this organism that we live in is to isolate it. And because we don't have that human connection, and we're not just talking about Zooming and things like that, because that's connecting, but it's not really connecting. We're talking about touching your loved ones, being with your loved ones. Skin-to-skin contact is so important for this organism. It naturally calms down your organism. And not to talk about different psyches and things like that. That's partly why um, people go into... um, having sex so often and being addicted to sex because it's that skin to skin contact that the organism craves is just unbalanced. But that's at the root of it is that skin to skin, that human connection and people look for it in many different ways. And also why people, some people drink because they drink to lower the nervous system and calm things down so they can talk with someone <laughs> and be themselves with someone, but they're using that as a filter, as a crutch. Now is that something where the skin to skin has to be with another person or can it be something where, you know, how we like could do like a self hug or there's different techniques where you can like rub certain parts like your arms or your legs. Does that have a positive effect? It all works. It's just certain things work better. So you can give yourself a hug, but what happens if you have low self-worth? That hug doesn't really mean anything, but your spouse saying, oh my God, you rock. And they hug you and they hug you and they hold you in such a way that you just melt. That will fill you up 10 times faster. But it's not always human as well. Also, a big boom that happened in 2020 is people were adopting animals. And they didn't understand why, but the brain knows what it needs. It knows how to fulfill its needs. So it started to not trick people, but get people to start adopting more because animals can fulfill that same connection um, that we crave so much as humans in that way. If you were upset and you had an animal, the animal would lay right next to you to the point where one of my mentors um, had a liver issue where his little dogs, he had uh, micro, those micro dogs would lay just on his belly right where his liver was. 
and they would take turns laying just there because there's um, electron changes that happen when skin to skin contact happens. So the animals were now we're getting into the weeds a little bit, but molecularly we're giving the the host, let's say, the human more electrons to heal so he would feel better. And he didn't understand why. And that's what got him into his practice of um, electron therapy, things like that. So human connection is huge. But so many people are fearful of human connection now that we're taking apart something on a massive level that we don't understand the repercussions of until later. That is very, very interesting to think about for sure. And, you know, I think obviously for some people, based on, you know, where they are and what's happening, you know, in today's world during COVID times, you know, certain things may not be possible. But at the same time, it is good to know that human connection is one out of several things that they can do. So if that isn't possible for where they are and who they're able to see, you know, at least they have a lot of the other things that you shared, the TRE, the venting, the seeing things, the visualizing, feeling the body sensations, you know, all of those things are going to be extremely beneficial to calm their nervous system until hopefully sooner than later, we'll be able to travel and see people and touch people and hug and all that. Well, this is the last thing I'll say about that because I've been working with my clients in detail with this because our brain is based off of habits, loops, and it, it does things and locks things in place. We've passed the threshold of the, the norm. So your body's not looking to go back to its old ways and the old way is human connection. We have uh, ostracized it and made it such a fear state that it's going to be slightly tricky to get back, but you need to be make it a conscious thought to come back. So my what I've been working with my clients now is getting them to take apart that fear and start uh, working on it now. So when they finally lift the veil and say you can go out, you don't go out in a fearful state. You're ready to go out at your own pace and you're ready to move forward into human connection again, or else that once upon a time, safe haven, best place in the world, actually turns into a, a hard, stressful place to be. And I hear that a lot is like when I go, I, I'm still a hugger. I'm very much so um, able to touch people and I have faith in all the things that's, that happens in my life. So I'm still a hugger, but I ask, I was like, is it, is it okay? Because I know this human connection aspect, is it okay? And they're like, oh my God, no one's touched me in so long. I don't know. That is the first part. Whether it's, we're not saying it's right or wrong, it's just they don't know if they can, if they should, which means the human organism is also going to second guess if that's a good thing when it's always been a good thing. And that's what I have to get people to work on. Wow, Patrick, that is something I didn't even think about, but that makes so much sense. And I don't think anyone is really thinking about it or as forward thinking as you are about it. And I think that you're so right. And I think people aren't going to realize that. And then they're not going to feel the same. And that fear is obviously going to, like you said, make something that is so natural, normal and healing actually potentially be negative. So that is really, really important. That is where the rabbit hole starts. Because then it's just, then you have this drive to do something that the organism really wants to do, but now it wants to do, it's almost, then it turns into uh, an addiction like um, alcoholism. We know it's bad, but we do it anyway, but it's going to be the exact opposite. Our body wants it, craves it, wants it, but we are now making it into a bad thing. So we're going to actively do it 
thinking it's okay when it's not. And that's the reverse end of the swanning. And I'm going to see a lot of cases like that um, of people walking in when they open up the veil. I already, already know it. Yeah. Well, and I think just being aware and knowing that that can happen, I think is even enough to have people understand it and be mindful. And that should be helpful. You know what I just realized too? I had a dream last night. I completely forgot. And it just triggered my memory as we were talking about this. And in in this dream, I went on a trip and it was like, I think from what I remember, it was happening like at some point, like now, like it wasn't that I went on a trip two years from now, it was around this time. And I was with a lot of people, actually people from college. I don't, almost felt like I was back in college and no one had masks. And I remember having this very strange feeling, should I be here? No one has masks. Should I have a mask? Oh my gosh, I forgot my mask. What do I do? And then it kind of set off this whole chain of like anxious thoughts. And I completely forgot about it until that. Let's. I love taking, you know how I love taking apart dreams because dreams is your mind and your body telling you a story of where, what state it's in, right? And what's happening in the world. And this is, could be an easy way of your brain and your body saying, it's coming, it's happening. How are you going to react? What are you going to do? And that goes back into venting and mind dumping is, now you need to take that apart, get okay with it, find out. Now I'm, I'll go into a little bit, but find out what you can do now to make that sensation safe. And my biggest thing is you have to get healthy, do whatever you got to do to get healthy now, because we are human Petri dishes. And right now we are not letting anything in our Petri dish. As soon as they lift the veil, we are going to be going out in full force, but we're not, our immune system is not evolved in that way anymore. So we have to now learn how to do that. So my thing that I tell you is like, you have to get even healthier. You have to do even more. You have to focus and calm your nervous system more. So when that does happen, you now know your fears, you know what your body's going to do, and now you can work slowly into it. Find out your tribe. Like one of the things that I did through this hard time is I made a quarantine there's only a small number of people that I allow in my house, in my world, because I know they're doing the same thing. And that's the best that I can ever do to fight against something I cannot see. I let them into my house so I would still have that human connection. So it's not just me and my wife and my three kids that we would eventually kill ourselves with all the craziness that happens with three kids and you know husband and wife type of thing. So we started to allow our, our just our immediate family in because I learned, I saw it with my own eyes how they were deteriorated within that first month. Like everything was just falling apart on them and they just did not look good. So I allowed them in. And as long as we stayed safe, it was good. We do the same. And, uh, you know, what you were saying about making sure that we are staying healthy and doing things that are healthy. I mean, you are, of course, speaking my language here. And I talk about this a lot on the show and it's other things that we can do to help to, and I don't even want to use the word boost just because so many people have autoimmune issues, but really more about balancing the immune system and strengthening and having the immune system basically have a better understanding of what's potentially bad and what's actually good. And so kind of like keep it going and making sure that the immune system is working the way that it should be. Because sometimes, you know, when we're home all the time, you know, we don't think about it because we're not going anywhere. Why do we need to do that? But we do because we are going to be going out, like you said, hopefully sooner than later. Right about that. Yeah. Well, Patrick, this has been so informative. I loved learning about all of the different ways that we could come to nervous system. I know that my listener is also finding 
a, a lot of benefit here. And these are things that people can try and do right away. And I think it's going to help a lot of people. Uh, Patrick, for those that want to contact you or connect with you, where can they find you? Well, I'm very um, present on social media. I am one of the people that is all about intimacy and loving up on people. So if you DM me on my on my Facebook uh, under Patrick LaRouge, you're going to get me. But the easy one of the easiest ways is is PatrickLaRouge.com. And if you even want to come onto my into my world into my universe where I can love you up a little bit more, person, I do have a five free exercises that you can do to quiet the mind, balance the body, and lower your nervous system. So if you get onto that, you come in and we start talking once a week type of thing through email. That's great. And that is a link that we're going to post in the show notes for everyone to see here. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for being here. It was such a pleasure to speak with you and get this information out there. Thank you again. And we'll talk soon. Thank you all for listening. As you just heard, the nervous system is really at the core of everything. If you're familiar with functional medicine concepts, you have probably heard the phrase that everything starts in the gut. Now, this is not false. However, what do you think controls the gut? You guessed it, the nervous system. So maybe it's even more accurate to say that everything starts in the nervous system, right? I know that if you're listening to the show, you are most likely dealing with a health issue or two or three, and I am sure you know others who are dealing with health issues too. The nervous system is an area that is so essential, but tends to get forgotten a lot. We focus on the things that we want and that seem to relate more to what we're dealing with, but we forget that the nervous system is actually in control of all of those things. The nervous system is affected by stress, but don't forget that stress is not just things that you need to do or things that happen to you, but it's also how you react to stress, how you think about it, the beliefs you have about it, and of course, how you actually manage it and what you do to help to calm things in between. So for Julia, we worked on just that. I worked with her on the many areas of stress. Now, we first went through all of her vitamins. Now, obviously, vitamins are good, but if there's too many vitamins, that could be a physical stressor on the body. She was taking way too many. I'm not joking when I say that she was taking more than 40 pills a day. So we did some testing. We identified what she actually needed and then prioritized it, and we got it down to 12 pills a day. It was much more manageable not to say a lot less expensive, and her body actually was able to process and digest it. Then I gave her permission to ease up a little bit on her foods. Again, we did some testing to see what was more of an issue, and we supported that. She didn't have to avoid everything. In fact, if the diet becomes too restrictive, that can actually have a negative impact on the microbiome because we start to lose a lot of the good bacteria. So we opened up her diet a little bit and that felt good to her. And then we worked on the many areas of the nervous system and we did a lot of different nervous system lowering techniques. A lot of what we did are things that Patrick and I talked about in the episode. And I gave her some other suggestions of things that I've used in the past that have been helpful for me. And what I had her do is create a menu 
So we had her write down a list of all of the things that she liked doing that were calming. I probably gave her about 15 things to try. And naturally, some people are going to gravitate more to certain things than others. And so I had her try all of the different things from breathing techniques to meditation to body scans to journaling to some of the more active things like screaming into a pillow or punching a punching bag. And then she wrote down the things that she enjoyed most and we used it as a menu. And so then each day she would look at this menu and see what she's in the mood for and then do that activity. And it was very important that she would do at least one, maybe two if she had time, of the different stress managing activities a day. After just three weeks, she was amazed at the difference. Not only did her aches and pains get better, but she had more energy and her anxiety was better too. She felt so much calmer and also a lot happier. She now didn't have thousands of thoughts that are constantly circling around her mind and she was just able to breathe easier. It was funny because when we started, she was a bit skeptical. She was afraid to take less vitamins. She was afraid to be less strict with her diet, but she certainly didn't realize the power of calming her nervous system. So she was so happy when she did that and she felt better and she's going to continue with this plan. If Julia sounds like someone you know, please share this episode with them. And please be sure that you subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode. And if you're enjoying these, please leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews are super, super helpful, and I would really appreciate it. And as always, please don't forget, no matter what you're dealing with, there are answers. The answers are out there and there is hope. So just hang in there and don't give up. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you on the next episode of Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.